In today's episode, I will be discussing a serial killer. I'll also be discussing child abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Listen discretion is advised. What happened in this house behind me is simply a nightmare. There were six bodies found in this house last week. This morning, we know there are more. Autopsy reports have found that eight of the 11 women whose remains were found in Cleveland in a sex offender's home were strangled, most with various household objects. Police believe that they were murdered by Anthony Sowell, a convicted rapist who had been living in the house. The report reveals the women found in Anthony Sowell's home were killed with objects including a belt, electrical charger, and the strap of a shoulder bag. Some had been strangled by hand. The cause of the death for two of the women could not be determined because their bodies were so badly decomposed. It appears that this man had a sustainable appetite that he had to fill. What up, Internet? It's your girl, your audible booth thing, Amber Smiles Jones, and welcome to the Professionally Silly Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about true crime, the paranormal, and crazy shit that I find online. Hosted by me. A comedian and a cute black girl that has random interests and at normal things. <laughs> it's what I do. And guys, we have another special guest with us, EJ. What up? He's back. <laughs> <laughs> so last week we talked about annoying and creepy ass neighbors. I've definitely had some annoying ass neighbors in my lifetime. EJ, I know you have. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have. And you can you can honestly say that if if you've never had an annoying neighbor, there's probably a good chance you were that annoying neighbor. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I feel like fifty percent of people are annoying neighbors. I think so. <laughs> so, so I, I think that uh, probably the, one of the worst of the episode uh, was the guy who was obsessed with that other dude's mom. Literally tried to uh, look exactly like his dad so that he would have a better chance of breaking up their happy home. So that's a pretty annoying neighbor. That's what that song Stacy's Mom was about. Stacy's Mom has got it going. No, it's my jam. I'm dressed as her dad, and I'm fucking weird. <laughs> we should get that copywritten. That's beautiful. <laughs> so I think that's just kind of crazy, but he's an asshole, I feel like. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, make sure you check it out. Also, if you have any crazy neighbor stories that you would like to share, and you too, EJ, if you've got any, because there will definitely be a part two of that episode. Uh, email them to me at itsprofessionallysilly at gmail.com. And that's also in the show notes. Everything is spelled correctly. Okay. Um, so yeah, make sure you let me know in the email whether or not you want me to use your name. Because like I said, there's going to be a part two in the future. Because uh, crazy, annoying neighbors are always going to be a thing. They're a hit. They are. They're a hit. They hit. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we have ourselves a true crime episode. And uh, we're going to discuss a serial killer that not many people have heard of, Anthony Sowell, or Sowell. I don't really know how to say his last name, and I don't care. He kills people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The disrespect. Yeah, the disrespect. <laughs> the Cleveland Strangler. Now, he is responsible for taking the lives of 11 black women that we know of, but there could have been more. And I think uh, the last serial killer that we discussed was H.H. Holmes. Well, technically, it was the Tylenol murders that was that was done by a serial killer. We just don't know who that was because he did kill more than three people. But that case is still unsolved. We also discussed the Uber killer, and he killed six people. So that makes him a serial killer too. 
Huh. Oh, and for, by the way, uh, a serial killer is someone who kills three or more people within a significant amount of time. For those of you who are like, well, make, what makes a serial killer? That. That makes a serial killer. Now Do you know any? Right, now we got that away. Do you know any serial killers, AJ? Oh, yeah, tons. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking, uh, the Night Stalker. Ah, yeah. That's fucking scary, dude. Uh, Ed Gein. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Je- yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. All, yeah. the, all the big ones. All the big know. ones. Yeah. All the big ones. <laughs> but I, I guess when I think about it, most of my true crime episodes have been about uh, serial killers. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh well. <laughs> but I want to discuss the Cleveland Strangler himself, the crimes he committed, and a little bit of the history of the area that it happened in. It plays a huge part as to why the police did not take any of these reports seriously. As you guys may be aware, especially if you if you are a returning listener, my true crime episodes tend to be a little bit longer than my other ones. So uh, buckle up, bitch, because we're going to have some uh, nightmares and some fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that I'm going to be standing on my soapbox several times in this episode, so get ready. But before we get started with this episode's serial killer, I have some stuff I need to knock out first for my new listeners. Or my returning listeners, in case you forgot or you don't listen to me. Um, If you guys can, please leave me a five-star and written review on Apple Podcast or whatever you think I deserve. I'm a little biased as I think I deserve five stars. I'm amazing. Um, I'd give you five. Thanks, man. (laughs) This will will help me reach more listeners, which is uh, what be amazeballs, let's be honest with you. So if you're new here, make sure you listen to my older episodes as well and share your thoughts about them on my podcast Twitter page. It's Pro Silly. And uh, I have the Instagram page as well, and it's also called It's Pro Silly. I-T-S-P-R-O and the word silly. So from now on, the Instagram page will have photos and or videos pertaining to the cases and the episodes that we do here. So uh, take a look as you listen along and let's have some creepy, weird fun. Um, You guys can also leave me messages or text my Google Voice number as well and share your opinion on episodes 805-664-1828. That is also down in the description box as well. Now that we got all that knocked out, the intro's over, let's get to some murdering asshole named Anthony Sowell Sewell. (laughs) Once again, don't give a shit about his name. Oh, and by the way, I I may miss uh, say a lot of things. This research was a lot. It took literally all day yesterday for me to do this research. I watched two documentaries, listened to thousands of podcasts. Okay, one or two. But then I, then I did mostly reading. So Wikipedia and Murderpedia. Got, I guess where I got most of my information from. You, so. you did your homework. I I'm, did my like homework. Unlike the white sorority girls I went to college with. <laughs> oh, thank God you're here. <laughs> Let's get to it, guys. Because I graduated. They <laughs> Cheers to graduations. <laughs> the autopsies also found similarities in how the women's bodies were disposed. Five of the women who were buried in the backyard were covered in plastic sheets or garbage bags. I didn't feel safe. There's something telling me, don't go in this house. One woman says she narrowly avoided being a victim. How he was in love with me, how he wanted me to go up to his house and drink with him. Sal was a registered sex offender. 
And this tragedy raises questions about how closely he had been monitored by police. Prosecutors claim the 50-year-old lured vulnerable women to his home with the promise of alcohol or drugs. Probation and parole is not really set up to be a law enforcement outfit. They're not set up to do the type of surveillance and supervision that might catch somebody like this guy. Sowell has also been charged with attacking five other women who did survive. So let's start off with this. Serial killers are assholes. I feel like we can all agree. I mean, murderers are in general. They kind of, you know. Also, people in general kind of suck ass too. <laughs> you know, I can't choose what I hate more. Serial killers are just random regular people. But well, <laughs> that's just how Serial killers about. are people. Well, oh, well, there I, you go. They're monsters, technically. Technically, horrible, horrible human beings. And there are serial, ser- serial killers uh, all over the world. And let's go ahead and also uh, reiterate here. Uh, I hate to say it. Okay, but I'm going to because why not? Um, Serial killers are not just crazy white men. It's the majority of them, but there there are some crazy men in general. Okay, I'm feeding a little stereotype here, but there are some women who are serial killers. There are black men who are serial killers. We're about to discuss one now. And a lot of people had never even heard of this guy. I did a Twitter uh, poll as well as an Instagram poll, and I asked people if they'd ever heard of the Cleveland Strangler. And I got to say, more than half of them were like, nah. I'm not. <laughs> Who's, who the fuck is that? <laughs> but I will say this. I do think there are way more men serial killers than women. Or yeah. maybe women are just better at it and then we're just, they haven't gotten caught yet. They're just sneakier. <laughs> Snaky bitches. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to discuss uh, serial killer Anthony Sowell Sororor. And uh, <laughs> who is also known as the Cleveland Strangler. Now, don't I? I don't know if 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 he's killed more people than they say, but he's known to have killed eleven people, and those are usually the ones that they could prove. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of women that went uh, missing in yeah. his area. So that's the thing is like you never know, even if they got caught for like this many deaths, you know, or yeah. something like that. Like, yeah. there could be bodies buried anywhere. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I'll tell you, be honest with you guys here, I don't I do not do as many murder true crime podcast episodes as other true crime podcasts do. Most of the, the true crime I discuss here, people usually don't die. They just do stupid things and they get arrested, you know? <laughs> but when I do discuss crimes of this caliber, sometimes it can be a little difficult to make a comedic, but I'll do the best that I can. But especially when... um. Usually I'm the only person here, but luckily I managed to rope my friend into spending uh, the, his morning discussing murder with me. So yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> We're up for the challenge, okay? But for my, um, all right, fellow true crime addicts, let's start off at the beginning. Anthony Edward Sowell um, was born August 19th, 1959, and he was one of seven children uh, one of seven children, and he grew up in East Cleveland, Ohio. His mother was a single parent, and her name was Claudia Garrison. Now, his father, Thomas Sowell, uh, was not in the picture, and he left He left when Anthony was just a young boy and was in and out of prison for most of his life. So he was, um, he was however, surrounded by a lot of family. Okay, now let's let's discuss a little bit of the 50s. Now, in the 50s, a lot of black families went to Cleveland 
for better opportunities for the family. But unfortunately in the sixties, things kind of went to hell. There were riots, uh, predominantly in the African American community of Huff. And that's how they say it. It's, it's spelled H O U G H, but the pronunciation they said is Huff. Uh, these riots took place from July 18th to July 23rd, uh, and in 19, it was in 1966. Four African Americans were killed and 50 people were injured. Now, of course, city officials wanted to blame these riots on the black nationalism and other communist organizations. But since then, we have learned that these riots were about poverty, uh, poverty, um, employment discrimination, poor housing, police brutality, ongoing school segregation, and of course, fucking racism. <laughs> That's always the, Minus you know. the school segregation kind of sounds like today. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty much the fucking same, you know, and, and, and technically it's still kind of that too, when yeah. you think about it. Yeah, if you do think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as I'm sure many of you notice that these problems still exist, like he just said, and uh, the Huff riots caused a decrease in, popu- in population and economic decline in the community, which means all the white folk left and they went to suburbia. <laughs> It's too much. Uh, no. <laughs> now, according to Wikipedia, these riots started because there was um, the white owner of a 79ers cafe bar uh, was racist as fuck and the neighborhood was fucking sick of it. Now, the bar was located on the southeast corner of East 79th Street and Huff Avenue, and the area had taken an economic hit and there was a lot of people who resided in this community. Now, there are also a number of drug problems, obviously, prostitutions and burglaries as well. So there there were a couple there were a couple of prostitutes, you know, like to hang around that little area, you know. It was a bar. <laughs> Gonna get it some good the customers 60s, there. Man. Yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> but uh, there were a couple of prostitutes by the name of Margaret and Louise and my sister's middle name. Holy shit. <laughs> kind of sounds like an old lady's name. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, eventually she will be an old lady, so yeah. that kind of counts. One day. <laughs> now, the establishment um, had decided to ban these women from his business, hoping that it would keep that type of shady stuff away from his business. He didn't want prostitutes and drug addicts hanging out in his business, which is understandable, you know. But things got worse after Margaret passed away and left behind three children. Now, on July 17th, 1966, her friend Louise attempted to leave a box at the bar so that patrons would be able to donate money to help care for Margaret's children, where, where the owner of the bar, he fucking didn't like that, okay? And he told her to leave. He was like, you get your... What a dick. Yeah, we're like, come on, dude, <laughs> come you know. On. And uh, Louise returned um, the very next day, and the owner decided to use racial language, uh, harsh racial language, N-word, blah, 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 and uh, threw her out. Mm. Now, not long later, another incident occurred that changed uh, the racial tension from, ah, oh, fuck this shit, to, ah, oh, fuck this shit. Yeah, <laughs> just the yeah. tone, you know what I'm saying? So uh, a black man entered the bar and asked for water and was de- was denied and he was asked to leave. Then the bar owners decided to make a sign and post it on the door that read, no water for niggers. Yeah, that's some fucked up shit. So suppo- yes. even in the 60s, you know, yeah, it's still yeah, like, ah, yeah. uh, it's kind of blazing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Uh, supposedly the bar was robbed about an hour uh, after the water incident and the sign was posted. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> so before I mean, you knew it. if we lived in that neighborhood, oh, we would have gone beat that person. I got to be honest with you, we would have been there. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, let's say before you knew it, the residents of the area went to the bar pissed off as fuck, which makes a whole lot of sense. And like, like EJ and I said, we, we would have been amongst them. Okay. Um, so rocks were thrown at the bar until the owners came out armed with guns and then shit just hit the fan from there. It was said that there were about 200 to 300 rioters that were pretty much around over a 30 square block radius. That's a fucking shit ton of people. Yeah, it's a lot of fucking people. So yeah, shit was getting real in Cleveland. Yeah. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So... um. <clears throat> Let's get back to Anthony Sowell. I wanted to explain that because racial tensions in that area have always been high. But let's be honest, racial tensions everywhere are kind of high. It's always high. Most places, yeah, pretty much everywhere in the world. It's kind of amazing how not much has really changed. The only thing that's changed now is technology. Especially, yeah, but America is the most racist country. Mm, I agree. By far. But we may be a little biased because we live here. Yeah, (laughs) Let's get back to Sowell. Um, Anthony lived with his sister's children, which there were seven of them as well. So he had seven siblings of his own. His sister also had seven children. So that's another seven kids. He had like seven nieces and nephews, whatever. It's a big house. It is a bit. Yeah, it's a lot of fucking people. Okay. Now his sister, Patricia, had five children before the age of 18. Which is a lot of fucking kids. And I don't really know her story, if that was something she wanted to do, or if there was some sort of sexual assault. I don't really know. They didn't really get deep into that. Might have been more common to have I mean, it could have been, too. back then. It's, yeah. it's true. You know what I'm saying? It, it is. Uh, you, can, you can only imagine the chaos that was in that household with all those fucking kids. <laughs> you know? Good God. And Anthony uh, and a few of his family members... They uh, they shared um, the entire house. They shared everything, but they shared more than just that house. They also shared uh, abuse in that home. There was a lot of abuse there. And the children, they were victims of the abuse and they witnessed the abuse. Now, Anthony actually witnessed his younger cousins. And here we go, guys. Trigger warning. uh, Witnessed some of his younger cousins being forced to strip naked tied up and beat with extension cords and electrical wiring. Now, apparently this was a common practice in the home. So uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. I, I told you guys trigger warning on this episode. Now I, just say, I'm not anyway a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything medical with brains or body or anything at all. Honestly, um, I have a degree in performing arts, but I did do a lot of research for this episode, and um, it said, okay, there is something that tends to pop up quite often, and it said that children who grow up in abusive households and, and sometimes see that way of living, they see that way of living as normal because it's all they know as children. It's also said that this abusive behavior is taught and it's learned, and sometimes the cycle will continue. The abused will often become the abuser. However, let me state this. That is not always the case. Not everyone who's abused grows up to abuse others. That's not always the case. Now, as we go further into this case, remember the electrical wires that I mentioned before, okay? Um, From what I understand, Anthony used to take strange, like a strange pleasure in watching 
these so-called punishments. Uh, they were There were even times where he would initiate situations so he could watch them be punished. Now, according to Murderpedia.org, Anthony would secretly drink his grandmother's Pepsis and, and or sometimes start a fight and then blame his niece, Leona. And of course, in turn, Leona was beaten uh, for the things that Anthony actually did. And he That's would, evil. Yeah, he would take pleasure in that. So he's already showing his evil side at such a young age. You know, we're talking about preteens here. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was seven years old, he also witnessed one of his older nephews sexually assaulting one of his nieces. He witnessed a lot of things that children should not see. And of course, as a child, he probably wasn't understanding what he was seeing was obviously wrong, but it left a mark because as he got older, he would begin to show his darker side. And it, it was said that Claudia, his mother, would sneak into the, child's, into the child's room if she felt that particular child broke any of her rules. And uh, she would sneak in their room early as hell in the morning, like 3 a.m., something like that, yank them out of bed, and then would strip them naked, tie them to the banister with an extension cord, and then whip them with another cord. And of course, the other children were forced to watch these beatings so they would know what would happen to them if they stepped out of line. So siblings, even they even remember, like when they were being interviewed, they remember Anthony laughing when they were beaten. Good God. Yeah, this kid, yeah, he, yeah. And it only gets worse the older he gets. So once again, trigger hella fucking warning yeah. <laughs> this episode. I'd say so. Holy <laughs> yeah. shit. So um, here's where your girl pretends to be smart. Okay, thank God for Wikipedia. So let's go back uh, a bit to discussing how children learn. Pretty much every species, when they're babies or when they're a child, they learn from their surroundings on how to speak, how to eat, and even even how to behave. Now, think about that for just a minute, okay? And think about the things that Anthony was seeing as a child. Now, as children, we pay attention to the world around us and we take all that in and it helps build the people we become. The people who raise us help mold us to who we will be, even if that means that we learn what not to do. We all learn something. I, for example, am the splitting image of my parents (laughs) when when I say that I, I, I don't mean that physically, by the way, I just mean like mentally. There are certain things that I say or do that remind me of my parents, and there are certain decisions that I make that I know my parents would make. Do you know what I mean, EJ? Yeah, yeah I feel the same Yeah, it's just, sure. it's just how it is. So that was me pretending to be smart. Let's get a little bit more science shall we? <laughs> so let's talk about the Bobo doll experiment for a second. There was this science dude. His name was Albert Bendora. I think I said his name right. And uh, in the early 60s, he studied how children behaved after they watched an adult uh, act aggressively toward Bobo the doll by kicking it and yelling at it and, and hitting it and all that stuff. And Bobo, the doll, if you want to Google it, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to remember to put a photo of Bobo on the Instagram so you guys can see it. But Bobo the doll is like a roly-poly toy with like the rounded bottom. So no matter which direction you push it or hit it, it won't fall down. You know, kind of like the weebles that wobble but won't fall down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, weebles, they be wobbling. <laughs> <laughs> that was random to say. Anyways, um, children would watch an adult act very aggressively towards the doll, kicking it and punching it. Then the children were asked to play with the doll 
and they would mirror what they saw the adults do. So the children would punch, kick it, and do just like, just like what they saw. And uh, that was, they thought that was the correct way to play with the doll because they saw the adult do that. Mm. Now, that's a more simplistic way of explaining this particular study. But if you want to do more research on it, Google is on standby, honey. I, <laughs> poor, bo- poor Bobo. Yeah, poor Bobo. He got his ass kicked. <laughs> Fuck. But let's, uh, let's take a little break because I'm really thirsty from all this science talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hello, come and listen to Grand Rapidians play video games. My name is Willie. I'm the original Cooking Mama World Champion, and even though I've had close to 5,000 different brews, I always keep hams in the fridge. I'm Ginger. I'm the inaugural Tetris DS World Record Setter, and you can usually hear me eye roll at Willie's introductions. Every week, we review a beverage, we talk about a game we've played, We recommend something like a podcast, and we assign points for real-life experience. Come and listen to Grand Rapidians play video games. Found wherever you listen to quality podcasts. Man, we are back. So, uh, this is deep as hell, so I'm gonna go ahead and... Opened up myself a beverage so I can continue to bring you this horrific Jar- shit. Yeah, this is jarring. I didn't know much about this beforehand. Like, I remember when he got caught, but it's crazy. <laughs> I was like, hey, do you want to record a podcast with me? He was like, yeah, sure. We had so much fun before. And now he's like, listen, there's a lot of murder here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and open up myself a, a Foster's beer here. Cheers, EJ, because we're going to need this. Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna need that. Every now and then I may stop, take a little sip, because this is this is deep. Alright, let's get back to it. So I'm thinking that like I was talking before about how children learn the things that they see mm-hmm. and the things that they're taught. And I'm thinking that perhaps Anthony learned from what he saw, because he was exposed to a lot of violence as a child. He even began to sexually assault his niece, Leona, on a daily basis for about two years. Exactly. You a freak. Yeah, dude. This is why we need to get these beers. (laughs) They were both preteens at the time. So Leona, um, she she tried to report these these rapes to authorities, but but unfortunately, no one believed her. And to be honest with you, that doesn't surprise me it sadly doesn't surprise me it was so long ago like people still don't get believed for stuff now oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah you're right about that and if i'm being completely honest with you if you're black and uh, you don't tend to go to the police because they usually don't even take your pain seriously or what you're Mm -hmm. saying seriously or if they don't like you or if they don't yeah or if you have a or if you have a, a criminal background, or if you do drugs, or if you've done those things, they tend to not give a shit about what you're saying to them at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, according to Murderpedia, Leona believes that if police took her, ser- took her more seriously, that the Imperial Avenue killings probably would have never happened. Because yeah. she that probably could have stopped him at a young age. Yeah, before this. been in some juvie or some shit some mental asylum something 
You know what I'm saying? It's something. (laughs) Now, apparently, Anthony also had a lighter side. He was actually described, surprisingly, as a kind child and very respectable. But these are the people who weren't in the family. They didn't really know him. It sounds manipulative. (laughs) I mean, most people that have psychological issues like that, whether you're a sociopath or a... Or a what is the other one? A psychopath. psychopath. I was like, yeah. see, I don't even know. But um, like I said, not a doctor. But they say that a lot of them are really good at mimicking what they know is normal behavior on the outside world. But when they get home, they let the fuck loose who they are, you know. I just realized when you said that, you said, I'm not a doctor. And I almost said, Dr. Jones. <laughs> if you were a doctor, you'd be Indiana Jones. Damn right I would. <laughs> Damn right. Said my tits are bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Take that, Harrison Ford. <laughs> not on my, get off my plane. <laughs> oh, that was great. I, I thought that. you were talking about snakes on a plane. I, I, at first, I <laughs> not, thought I was. Force one. Yeah, Air Force One. Yeah, yeah son of a bitch. Like, That's not. <laughs> oh snap! So as I was saying, they. <laughs> That's so funny. As I was saying, they actually described him as a kind child, as respectable, which uh, down the line made it difficult for people to believe any of the claims that were made against him. He always seemed like a nice guy on the outside, and I guess he was just really good at hiding who he really was, or who he was becoming. Because uh, he was sh- a shy, kind of a small, kind of smaller than everyone else, you know. He was often bullied in high school for his lack of sexual experience, um, which yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's pretty much what people do in high school. I, I mean, mean, I guess so. You know, but. I mean, most I think that might be big of a problem for guys. Oh, you haven't yeah. gotten laid yet, huh, pussy? What are you yeah. gay or whatever? Something like that. I like but. on TV. That's just, I, I've never been a young man before. Yeah. Not too. I feel like my friends weren't really like that. Like. We didn't care. Yeah, you, you I, guys I were having with, too much fun. You were yeah, skateboarding. I hung out with a bunch of virgins. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Sorry about that, Susie Q. <laughs> I mean, they're not virgins anymore. Oh, okay. Well, good for them. Yeah. I'm glad. They got it going. On. People figure things out. People figure things out. And uh, like I said, like I think that's that might be something that a lot of young men deal with at that mm-hmm. age, middle school, high school. That everybody's trying to be older and more grown than they actually are totally yeah you know that's like always a thing even yeah. when you're in like preschool something's like i'm not gonna hang out with you so like, you're okay. not m- mature enough yeah you're not mature enough yeah. i'm not gonna be your there's friend there's gonna be that person who's like i'm i'm like i don't know i'm better some, than you yeah i'm better than you i don't need to be <laughs> my here. mom cuts the crust off my pb and j bitch <laughs> calm down sir <laughs> my mom doesn't have crabs <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think I'm just going to randomly say that to someone. Just just keep that in my back pocket as an insult. <laughs> now, honestly, I got to be honest with you. When I was in high school, I didn't really care about anyone's sexual accomplishments or whatever. I honestly remember being shocked as hell the first time that I saw a pregnant girl in high school. I felt so bad for her. But not because she was pregnant. It was because, like... First of all, her future was gone. <laughs> mm. Second of all, people treated her like shit. Right. They called her a whore and a I don't slut. Think it's true that your future crazy. is gone. I feel like I knew a bunch of people who like got pregnant super like young. I mean, when like, I was younger, I didn't get that. Yeah. I thought her future was done. Oh, you're, you're saying when you were younger? You <laughs> yeah, yeah. When yeah. I was a teenager, I mean, I probably would have yeah. thought that too. I was like, she has because like that's what they pretty much teach you to keep you from having sex as a younger. Well, if you get pregnant, you'll never. 
amount to anything. You have to drop out of school yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And that's not always, that's not the case. But I was, I was in the gym class with all the teacher. pregnant girls at my school. <laughs> the fact that that sentence said all the pregnant girls <laughs> not all of them <laughs> how many pregnant girls were you in gym class with i think there were like three pregnant girls in my gym class at one time like we would all be playing dodgeball and they'd just make them like walk laps around the gym which that's kind of fucked up i would just let them chill or like not go to gym because that's like weird <laughs> <laughs> it's gym people tried too hard in gym especially the teachers they're oh, like you you're pregnant was... and you gotta walk laps you gotta walk laps i don't give a fuck if you're pregnant get your ass did you change out <laughs> <laughs> make sure you change into your fucking gym clothes <laughs> i would always wear the i don't know why i had like way more sophisticated taste in shoes when i was uh younger and i would just like wear like fucking like dress shoes to gym accidentally because i would always forget i fucking had gym class and the teacher would be like all right you gotta like sit out or you're gonna get like i think i got like a c in gym one time because <laughs> i wore the wrong shoes all the time <laughs> meanwhile i was actually pe student of the year oh, twice <laughs> <laughs> legit i <laughs> got a little plaque and everything yeah. <laughs> all right let's get back to these murders <laughs> i just remember one time i had to like run the mile in dress shoes because the teacher was so pissed at me because I'd wear shoes like that to gym. How dare you? What a dick. Yeah. And I hope you put like a fucking potato in his tailpipe or some shit. There was, he was, <laughs> he was, uh, this is like getting off topic and I'll, I'll cut it off soon, but he actually did get his due because he was like a really big guy. He was like a linebacker when he, and played college football and someone found a picture of him from when him back in the day and he was like huge like i'm talking like humongous and they put them in all the urinals in our school and everyone was just like pissing on his face for that day. <laughs> and then he found out about it and he took he took one of the pictures and put like one of the clean ones obviously and posted it to the back of his clipboard for the rest of the year and he gave us this like long speech about how he's like not this person anymore it was like the it, it was too much oh my god dude <laughs> they're kids who gives a shit exactly Move on. it's fucking gym class you're trying too hard yeah good god all right <laughs> dude sucks <laughs> well kids are assholes yeah kids are assholes. <laughs> get on with the true crime <laughs> Get on with the true crime. And so Soul, uh, he dropped out of high school when he was 17 and he started to abuse alcohol as an escape. So when he was finally, um, when he was finally old enough in 1978, he decided to join the Marines. And uh, when he turned, I think it was, he was 19, yeah, at that time. And he reported to boot camp January 24th, 1978 at Paris Island, South Carolina. Now he did surprisingly well in his, in his, uh, in his military career. And I suppose the structure was something he probably thrived at that time, especially in how he grew up. Needed the discipline. It's probably something that he needed. And apparently he finished at the top of his class. And he was even um, the only one out of five people in his troop to earn the rank of private first class. So he did excellingly well in the military. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, right? It's really creepy. It's like, oh, you made it through the, your horrible childhood and you were a little yeah. dick, but now you're doing well. It's like, yeah, well, you're about to hate him again in a minute. Don't worry about that. Make, and also, on one hand, it makes you more scared of the military <laughs> <laughs> I mean, than you already are. I mean, it's just like cops. 
they pretty much let anybody in. <laughs> pretty know? much. You know. Some people don't make it. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a huge range of people. <laughs> uh, in the military, he worked as uh, an electrician. So Saul, Saul uh, was stationed in California as well as Japan, Okinawa, Japan. And he met a fellow Marine named Kim Lawson, who he dated. And he was she was like super into him. And every time um, they would hang out and stuff, he would do things that she didn't really understand. Like when she would try to cuddle with him, he would pull away. When And he also didn't really like holding hands either, which kind of makes sense because, okay, I'm like I, like I said, guys, I'm super into true crime. So I've, I've heard a lot about this. And it sounds like he may have associated his like physical touch with the abuse that he suffered from as a child. And um, yeah. you know, that, that, that may checks, be what that is. That checks out. That checks point. out a box yeah. right there. A lot of women after they've, like friends, a lot of women after they've been sexually assaulted have a very hard time being touched by the people that they love, even if they're in a relationship with them. Sometimes they can't have sex because it, remi- it triggers something in them that happened to them in their past. So that I, could be something. Yeah. That's what I was about to say, but I was too uncomfortable to say. <laughs> 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 That's per- <laughs> yeah, I understand that because it's like kind of like a double standard of men discussing these things versus yeah. women. He's like, I don't know. I'm not can, qualified to say, say this. this. <laughs> <laughs> so the action of physical touch could have taken, you know, those people back to a very difficult moment in their lives. Now, Kim... Um, eventually was able to get through to him and they were, they, they got married and, um, and they were, I think Anthony was like, yeah, he was 22 years old in 1981, but the marriage didn't last as they were both Marines and they were deployed to different areas, you know? Mm. And in 1985, he was discharged from the military. He moved in with his half sister, Tressa and her family at the same home he grew up in off of Page Avenue. Oh, no. That sounds like a resume. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound too good. No. You know? So after returning home, uh, he began to drink again and even started smoking crack. Now, in the 80s, the crack uh, epidemic, uh, pandemic was, I'm going to say pandemic, (laughs) pretty much, because it's still a fucking problem. Uh, It was insane. Crack cocaine was extremely popular in the U.S. between the early 1980s and in the early 1990s. And it's no secret that drug use is also connected to crime and violence. Yeah. So, and you can you can find all three of these things in American inner city neighborhoods, which every is... Every city. Pre- yeah. To this day. Every city, you know what I'm saying? Which is a nice way of saying poor neighborhoods, let's be honest. Yep. <laughs> and that means black and brown neighborhoods, let's be honest. Uh, ish. Um, I like the ish a lot. You know, ish, yeah. yeah, I do that a lot. And now, according to Wikipedia, in 1986, which is a pretty dope year because that was the year I was born. <laughs> nice, nice. Apparently, it, I'm also connected to crack cocaine usage. <laughs> Not me. Per, well, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know much about my biological parents. Maybe. <laughs> I hope I wasn't a crack baby. Okay. <laughs> I'll have a drink. <laughs> All right, that got dark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so according to uh, Wikipedia in 1886, um, it was a year that the U.S. Congress passed laws that created a 100 to 1 sentencing disparity on the possession of, of trafficking. The war on drugs. The war on, right, the war on <laughs> drugs. Trafficking of crack cocaine. A.K.A. one of the dumbest wars ever. Yeah, it really is. Because <laughs> people, they want to do crack, they're going to fucking do whatever yeah. they want to do. 
And uh, this is now when you compare the the the, the penalties for trafficking uh, powder cocaine, it was pretty much the same. So this seemed extremely discriminatory against minorities, especially in the African American communities, who were definitely more likely to have access to crack than they would powder cocaine. So the cycle itself continues and people are going in and out of jail because of the substance yeah. abuse. Even even for like weed. Yeah, like, dude. It's like... It's uh, insane. If you're going to make weed legal in your state, you got to release all the people in jail who are there. Yes, especially for, for small reason. amounts. Yeah, you know like, what I'm saying? Someone like or paraphernalia, with like a joint or something. Yeah, like, people get arrested yeah. for roaches. You know, it's yeah. ridiculous. In the south and shit. Ah, oh, goddamn it! Now, I myself, I'll be honest with you, I've never tried crack, but it's it's just because it's not my thing. Uh, from what I understand, it's extremely addictive. Okay, and people will do pretty much anything to get it, and it it is a it is a high that doesn't last very long. So those who use crack will tend to pretty much do anything to get more of it. And that's where the crime and violence can come in. So in short, you know, don't do crack. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, it's pretty easy not to most of the time. <laughs> there's yeah. lots of other drugs you can try. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah dude. Yeah, there's other things that you can do. <laughs> Just throwing that out there's there. There's better uses of your time. <laughs> I guess we're back. Huh? We're back. I'll allow we you back. to speak every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> so Anthony found himself in the middle of the crack epidemic and jumped on board trying to forget his troubles. But drugs, as usual, only made things worse. Um, well, depending on what the drug is, you know. Yeah. So I support 420. Usually it's, yeah. 420 is cool. <laughs> yeah, crack Psych- is not the psychedelics best. Psychedelics are cool. Yeah, crack and heroin probably shouldn't do that. It's my, it's my opinion, though. Angel dust, maybe every couple weeks. Is angel so. dust and speed the same thing? No, it's cocaine. Oh, yeah. angel dust is another word for cocaine. Yeah. See, I know it as white girl. White girl? Yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah, so I'm like, hey, yeah, I want to snort some of that. Give, you got some of that white girl? You never heard that before? No. Well, yeah. yeah I'm you gonna... shouldn't do cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> don't do cocaine. <laughs> don't do white girl. <laughs> wait. <no. laughs> You could wait. All right, you know what? <laughs> you know what she was friends. So. <laughs> yeah, damn it. All right, so in uh, in 1988, Sowell, uh, Sowell, God damn it, Sowell was arrested on a charge of domestic violence to which he served eight days in jail. Now I couldn't find that much more information on what or on what or or who he attacked or what he attacked with at that time. Uh, but he was also arrested for many other charges, including DUIs, public drunkenness, as well as ch- uh, charges of disorderly conduct. He was filled with lots of rage and lots of drugs and lots of booze. And it, doing putting all those together, that's literally like pouring f- like fire on fire. <laughs> I was going to say gasoline onto a fire, but fuck it, fire on fire. I'm just going to put some more fire on this fire. <laughs> That'll help me out. That'll even things out. <laughs> he uh, he told police at one point during an interview that he would as- consume at least six drinks every day, and he would start in the morning and occasionally black out. But I couldn't get any information on what kind of drinks. If it was like hard He's liquor, liquor if you blacked out. Yeah, I'm you thinking. Yeah, drink like Budweiser and be like, oh my, uh. I blacked out. <laughs> 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 You're a hardcore alcoholic. You're drinking like fucking. 
It's like a glass of whiskey. <laughs> She's gonna sip of- this moonshine <laughs> through this fire hose. <laughs> you know. But uh, and he would occasionally black out. So in 1989, he met a woman named Melvette Sockwell, and uh, she was three months pregnant. Now, now, Anthony told her that her boyfriend was waiting for her at his house, which wasn't far from where they were at the time. Now, she could sense something wasn't right when she didn't see her boyfriend anywhere at that house. Now, that, that would raise a little few a few flags for me, too, I feel like. Yeah, yeah I'd be like, mm. Where's my man? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave. So when she tried to leave, he tied up her hands and feet with a tie and belt, and then he gagged her with a dirty rag. She told police that he choked her very hard because she could feel her body start to tingle. That tingly feeling. Oh, That's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, she, it's not like the sexy joke. No, no, it's not, not the sexy joke. Although there's some people who are into that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, bringing me near death just so I can bust, it just seems too much. I think that's how uh, David Carradine died. Oh, shit, that is how he died. Yeah. Uh, Audio asphyxiation. Yeah, he hung himself. Yeah, in the closet or something. He was like jerking it off and yeah. yeah. That's oh. fucked up. Rest in peace, buddy. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> Carradine brothers. Carradine brothers. Good, good family. <laughs> Let me take a sip of this beer. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So um, she said uh, at that particular moment, she knew that she was going to die. And I have to, I can understand that feeling. Now, during the time, during this time, Anthony had a lot to drink and he eventually fell asleep. And she managed, she managed to escape out of a window. Thank God. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Good on you, girl. <laughs> yeah, get it, girl. Now, she reported that what happened to her, uh, to the police, she reported what happened to her to the police and the grand jury even indicted him. However, he didn't show up for his court date and the court did issue an arrest warrant, but no one knew where he was. He just kind of disappeared. And I honestly doubt they even really tried to look, yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> Sounds like it. you know, almost a year later, several miles away, another woman said she was raped by him too. So this man was pretty much just using the black women of Cleveland to let out all his anger and rage out on. And he was choosing specific women, not not only were the women black, but they were also described as drug addicts and or prostitutes. And he saw them as people yeah. that no one would miss or care for. Some of the more vulnerable people exactly. in the community. Yeah. And sadly, he was kind of correct. But he was also wrong at the same time because some, some of these women were reported missing by those who cared for them. Yeah. But because of their past, police just assumed, oh, well, that their their lifestyle is dangerous, so they brought this on themselves. Or they're old enough to go missing or what have you. Mm. They, they didn't really look they're into it. They're old enough to go yeah. missing. I've never heard that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. You remember that I said that. All right. <laughs> now, during this time, black women were, disapp- were disappearing from the East Cleveland area. The bodies of three women were discovered near the uh, near the Sowell's Page home uh, Page Avenue home. Now in spring in the spring of 1988, 36-year-old Rosalind Gardner was found dead in her home uh, on Hayden Avenue and she was strangled. Now the body of Carmela Pratter, excuse me if I said her name incorrectly, was uh, 27 and she was found in an abandoned home um, on First Avenue, which again was not too far from Hayden Avenue. And all of this is in the same area. And this was in February of 1989. Now, just a month later, on March 28th, uh, a month later, a 27-year-old Mary Thomas was also found in an abandoned building. 
Her body was also on First Avenue and she was also strangled. When, when they found her body, there was a red ribbon. The ligature was still around her neck when she was found. Now, of course, neither of these cases were solved. And in my opinion, probably wasn't seriously looked into because these cases, uh, they didn't even get reopened until after Anthony was finally arrested, but they could not cut. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's years later because we're talking about cases in the 80s, arrest, looking into it in yeah, the 2000s. Like yeah, the later. evidence is gone. The ha- Most of the houses, I mean, in these condemned homes, there is going to be all types of evidence everywhere from the people who uh, like to shack out there or do drugs there or what have you. It's just, you know, we're talking about over 20 years later. It makes no sense. So they, obviously they couldn't link any of these uh, these cases to him. But once again, in my opinion, it was too late and they hadn't they hadn't done their job. That's that's the point. Yeah. They hadn't done their job. So the the fingerprints, all of that, everything would have been gone anyway. So open reopening these cases was pretty much a waste of time. Good luck, pal. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so Anthony Sowell, uh, or so well, was charged with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. And he made a deal and pled guilty to the charge of attempted rape and only served uh, 15 years in prison. Now, he was out by 2005 and was registered as a sex offender, but his DNA was never put into the system. Now, I'm not sure if this was a mistake on their part or if this was just something they didn't do at the time. Yeah. But I do know from right currently when you are on the sex registry, uh, the sex uh, offenders registry, they automatically put your DNA into the system at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's good. I mean, you deserve it. <laughs> yeah, dude. They put it in there, which I'm super for. So perhaps if police had done that, all these women that he murdered may have still been alive to, to this day. But in this episode, there's there's going to be a lot of what ifs and you know what they should have done was, but... Unfortunately, what was done was done, or in this particular case, a lot wasn't done, and uh, and you will all soon see what I mean. So when we when he gets out of prison, this is when he moved to the one two two zero five Imperial Avenue house in Mount in the Mount Pleasant community, and I would definitely argue that his presence in the neighborhood definitely made it less pleasant. <laughs> yeah right good I had one. to yeah <laughs> I wrote that one I wrote, yeah <laughs> that was a good one right yeah yeah alright <laughs> whoo Hey, true crime listeners, check out our podcast, I Said Goddamn. We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by two besties who like to share messed up cases that make you say goddamn. Every Sunday, we try to one-up each other's story by sharing a horrific case the other has never heard of. Along the way, we splash in some wildly inappropriate jokes and colorful language. Listen every Sunday from any of your favorite podcast directories. Also, follow us on Twitter at ISGDpodcast or visit our website, isgdpodcast.com. So if you guys haven't uh, heard of the true crime podcast, I said, God damn, 
then you clearly have not been listening to true crime podcasts correctly. Make sure you check that out. <laughs> or maybe at all. I hadn't heard of it. So. You son of a bitch. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to make him listen to it. Aaron, Stacy, my apologies. I'll make sure EJ gets on his shit. I don't listen to many podcasts. I listen to the Talking Sopranos podcast. I would listen to other podcasts. My heart just fell out my ass. Why? <laughs> what? Well, he listens to my podcast. That's what yeah, matters. Yeah, to your podcast. That's what matters. <laughs> and I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's on it, so it's good. <laughs> so after Anthony's release from prison, many black women started to disappear in the Mount Pleasant area. And of course, these disappearances were ignored. Not only were these women black, but a lot of them were considered prostitutes and or drug addicts. So unfortunately, police considered these women to live the type of lifestyle where they would go missing. And to to them, they were only second class citizens. Now, who gave a shit if another black woman went missing? Like, no one cares. Lots of police. (laughs) Exactly. And to be honest with you, still the fucking case, even now in 2020, Mm -hmm. it's still a problem. Now, missing black uh, women's cases are often underreported and also undersolved. And the media tends to turn their attention to missing or dead white people. I'm being honest mm-hmm. here. EJ, I love you. But it is what it is. Statistics. That's a hard word to say. Statistics. <laughs> and uh, they made those cases so large so that the entire world was aware of them. For instance, the, Eliz- the Elizabeth Smart case, the John Bonet Ramsey case, and et cetera. Uh, yeah. And these are cases that I remember as a child. There's like hundred, but think about that stacked up against all the cases of just like stories like this, where it's like the body count is so much higher, the human toll is so mm-hmm. much higher. It's because John Bonet was a rich white girl. Everybody knew about it. Yeah. And also, our parents had money, so it was. It's also a political and economic thing too, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And they, pro- I don't. Yeah, it's I, I mean, I it sucked because she was a child. Yeah. I get that, but at the same time, if this was wanna, a black child, yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say they like profited off that because it's such a horrible thing. But their family, like, they got paid yeah, for interviews paid for and interviews all kinds and all of stuff. Like, they got they, a small profit. They made it into what it was. Yeah, it's it's insane. This world, God. But these are the the type of cases that get the coverage now. According to a CNN article written by Hamet Kaur, and I apologize if I said your name wrong. Um, Kids go missing at a higher rate than uh, black children go missing at a higher rate than uh, than white children, and they are and there are many reasons for why this happens. Now she shares that the FBI is a is um, on the National Crime Information Center database list four hundred twenty four thousand and sixty six missing children under the age of uh, under eighteen was in two thousand and eighteen. Now there's a Here's a little bit of information that kind of surprised me. About 37% of those black children are black, even though black children only make up about 14% of all the children in the United States. Yeah. No, it's Those numbers are high. Yeah, when where I'm from in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, like, black kids go missing all the time, and it's, like, no joke. Like, you see people posting about it that you know all the time. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't for social media, we probably wouldn't know about half of these people that are missing. Because, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because social media, we all have access to it, and you get enough people to talk about it and get those, those, uh, those cases out there. Mm-hmm. And then you have a podcast as well now that's getting a lot of these cases out there. I'm learning a lot about things. By the way, there is a podcast that I just recently discovered. It's called Cases of Color. I literally listened to the first episode last night. Mm-hmm. 
and I am in love with it. It is amazing. She's pretty much giving people of color who were uh, victims of crimes uh, a voice, you know, because a lot of these, I, I was looking, scrolling through the the title of the, of the podcast uh, of, of her particular episodes and a lot of these cases I hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it's like it's sad. You yeah, know what I mean? Because it's under it's, it's underreported. Yeah, um, it totally is. The media is like totally skewed, like skewed as fuck. But it's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, of course, being a member of the black community myself, we do have our reasons why we don't trust police. Therefore, we don't tend to call them for help because usually when the police are called for help, we end up yeah. needing help because of the police and help from the police. So we don't tend to expect them to protect us because they don't really want to, Totally, <laughs> you and know, it's like, especially yeah, in those communities. Most of the time, like if you like call the police for something, like I honestly, you shouldn't call the police unless something really, really fucking crazy happened and you're in immediate danger. Otherwise it's going to be a huge waste. Karen's write yeah. that down. Write that down. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> now it's no secret that minority communities have a distrust of law enforcement, like I said, but missing black and brown children also don't get as much media coverage as I said earlier. And in the same article that I read, it mentioned a, a 2015 study saying that though black children, um, excuse me, they can't afford about uh, 35% of uh, the missing cases in the FBI's database. They only amount to about 7% of the media references. So honestly, the more money you have and the more clout you have, the more attention the media will give you. Absolutely. That's pretty much what that was saying. Now, for instance, sometimes you have to hire, um, also you have to hire private investigators to keep things going and keep things moving along. Because let's be honest, there are way more crimes than there are detectives and police yeah. Uh, personnel and whatnot. And they're stressed out there. Oh yeah, and they're also human, so yeah. I understand that too. And they, they 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 eventually burn out depending on, you know, the the type of uh, cases they're yeah. taking. I I would assume, sex trafficking and 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 uh, pr- uh, child molesters and all that. That's it's exhausting Oof, to I have to deal with yeah, that I every day. I couldn't do that. Shit. Yeah, murder right. and seeing the the corpses and seeing what's left behind. Yeah, you know, even though they're trained or whatever, and they, you know, that's a lot on the psyche to have to deal with yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm not saying I don't understand that that police officers are human, and I'm not saying that all cops suck. I'm just saying a majority of them suck ass. Not all of them, just a majority. Wow. <laughs> just some of them. Some you of have them. to suck to take a job <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I mean, how do you not suck after doing all that? You know. Mm-hmm. So another reason that this uh, this tends to happen in the lower income families is that they don't have access to the resources uh, to get their cases moving. Like I said, they have to get a private investigator to keep things moving along. And a lot of the time, these children of color are just classified as runaways. They say that they say this with uh, no further investigation on the missing child, meaning no Amber Alerts are going to go out, no media coverage. You're not going to get a text message with a a license plate saying last seen with so-and-so mm-hmm. that you're never going to give that information. It's just not going to happen. And it's a cycle that continues to thrive and it's frustrating as fuck. <sighs> Sorry. When, um, you know, when the police and the media classify these, these missing black and brown women and children as runaways, as if it's just, it's as if they're saying it's their fault. They went missing. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty much what it feels like. That's not, you know, 
It's most, ugh. Because most of the case, they, those kids are not run away. Yeah, they're they're not. You're human, right. Human trafficking is real. It is very real and exists every day, and it's still happening right now. Even yeah. in man, there are places. Someone, someone got arrested in our neighborhood for it a couple of years ago. I, I believe it. Yeah. They're everywhere, and it's not just big cities like Los Angeles. It can be a small town in Indiana. It can be. You know, a crazy hood in Florida. It doesn't really matter. These people go everywhere looking for vulnerable people, mostly women and children, because they—that's where the money is. And it's, it's all—it's all women and children. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you wouldn't fucking human traffic a man. I, feel like, I can't imagine what like, he's good for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it just real sexy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, let's and also let's be honest here, guys, you know, black people are constantly labeled as criminals or people involved with gangs and drugs. So before so when we go missing or we end up dead, you know, who are we supposed to go to for help when no one cares when you're already assumed to be of, you know, a gang member or criminal or whatnot? You know what I mean? So that's pretty much what happened. People are rooting in this against case. you in America. Yeah, they so. really America. <laughs> Good God! Please go out and vote. Yeah, <laughs> Just throw that out there. So let's go back in time to year 1990 when a 31-year-old woman reported to police um, that she went to Sowell's house for a drink. She was sitting next to him on a love seat when they began drinking. But at one point, he got up and got behind her and started choking her. While she, while he was attacking her, he was shouting horrible things to her, you know, uh, saying that she was his bitch and things like that. And that he was, he was, um, going to do what he was going to do to her sexually and things like that. So he forced her upstairs and raped her, even though she explained to him that she was five months pregnant, but Anthony didn't care. That is evil. Yeah. That's some fucked up shit. Now, after he finished, once again, he went to sleep. And she was able to get away. This guy's fucking falling asleep all the time. Yeah, I'm sorry dude. about like you busting nut, you go yeah. to sleep. <laughs> it's rude as fuck. This guy. I swear to God. But luckily this was the case. But also he was heavy on drugs, heavy on drinking, mm-hmm. you know, letting all that rage out. Yeah. I mean, physically it's understandable, but mentally it's like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So she um she was able to get away. So she actually returned with police and his ass was still asleep so (laughs) yeah this is great you know so finally uh police they arrest him but charges were never filed because a woman would not testify but which you know that does tend to happen a lot of these cases they are terrified yeah that something else is going to happen that's fine you know what i mean but they were uh, able to connect him to a rape that he did that he did the previous year in 1989 and that that's when he got the deal and pleaded guilty and did the 15 years in prison that he did earlier oh okay so yeah I this didn't know that. yeah we went back in time okay. <laughs> we went back in time uh, while he well, was at least he was off the stage yeah, for, yeah, a while. for a little like, bit Jesus. but when he was in prison he didn't really take anything seriously he didn't he was supposed to go to these mandatory sexual predator um, courses and you know uh, therapy sessions, but he refused to do it because he didn't want anybody in his business. <laughs> my, my, I don't want anyone in my business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in fucking prison for a horrible, horrible crime, but I don't want anyone in my business because I have so much going on. <laughs> pretty much was his mindset. Yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. bad mindset to have. So while he was in prison, he he worked as an electrician, a skill that he learned from the Marines. 
Uh, he also worked to um, in the kitchen as well. And he was a model prisoner, except the fact that he refused to, like I said, go to the sex offenders meetings in prison because he didn't want people to be in his business. So, <laughs> I'm so busy. I'm busy. You can't bother me as I'm in my business. <laughs> I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> but while he was in prison, he did manage to stay away from alcohol and drugs. So he was able to get his GED in prison as well. And uh, he definitely, he used the prison system to his advantage. And this reminds me when he did the same thing with the military. He was able to thrive with the discipline and people watching him constantly. So prison wasn't That's a good point. that difficult yeah. for him. He was like, oh, this is like the military, except I can't go outside without other people. You yes, know what I mean? Yeah. Now I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast wants to join the military. Or, or go, go to, to prison. prison. <laughs> <laughs> but not long after uh, he got out of prison, he got into drugs. Because he was released um, in 2005 after his uh, 15-year stint. Now, let's go back to the 2000s. Now, Anthony worked at a factory until about 2007, and then he started collecting unemployment benefits after that. He was seen in the neighborhood collecting scrap metal and selling that for money. And he had um, he also had an online dating profile where he stated he was a master looking for a submissive woman to train. I like to choke bitches. <laughs> Pretty like, much. Basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, good God. And <laughs> it's not my cup of tea, but yeah. all right, do your thing. <laughs> but don't, Some people probably Some like, people are into that. That's yeah. why they have S&M. And like I, we did the whole episode about bizarre sex fetishes. Some people are into that shit. It's mm-hmm. just not my thing. Now, somehow, he managed to catch the attention of a woman named Lori Frazier, whose uncle was actually the mayor of Cleveland, Frank Jackson. So she started dating him not long after he was released from prison, and they even lived together for a while. Um, While she was living there, there was a strong scent that seemed to succumb the entire neighborhood. Yeah, smells like dead bodies. Smells like dead bodies up in this bitch. (laughs) Now, many in the neighborhood, they they blame this horrible smell on Ray's sausage shop, which was literally (laughs) next door to Anthony's house. Like, next door. Okay, I guess that's Like an alley away. And, uh... Maybe Ray's sausage shop was doing some shady shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's not out of the question. In my favorite show, The Sopranos, they literally... I think it might be that the was a whole deli, second wasn't it? episode. Yeah, Satriel's yeah. pork store. They fucking grind someone up in the meat grinder. God, I want a sandwich yeah. now. Yeah, I'm hungry now. <laughs> so, now, black women at this time on or near Imperial Avenue were disappearing all around the area. So, could there be a connection between the disappearances and the extremely foul smell in the neighborhood? I'm going to say yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh. All right. <laughs> smells like dead bodies. <laughs> smells like death. <laughs> All right. Back. So uh, let's talk about some sausage. It's <laughs> a <laughs> <laughs> way to start this. So the health inspector um, was called to raise sausage many, many o time. And uh, there was a horrible lasting aroma that was spreading around the neighborhood. And it smelled like rotting flesh. So, of course, everyone figured it was Ray's Sausage Factory. I mean, no one really understands or knows how sausage is made. They just assume it's probably not a delicious smelling... I mean, I saw the sign. It said they sold head cheese. Yeah, head cheese, bro. Some, Some smelly things are going on. 
So, of course, uh, everyone figured it was the, the Ray Sausage Factory. So, uh, they spent about $200,000 to upgrade their ventilation system. But that did no good and the smell was still there. Now, Anthony would invite women who had uh, drug addictions or who he deemed no one would miss to his house with promises of drugs and or alcohol. And it was becoming increasingly more difficult to lure anyone to his house because of that fucking smell. It was horrible. But to those who he did manage to get inside the house, they had no idea what was causing that smell was actually decaying bodies of his previous <sighs> victims. Now, the first victim of that that, that grossness... <laughs> I, I just love that soundbite of yours. Ugh. <laughs> I'm glad you're disgusted by this. That means you're normal. <laughs> the first victim of Imperial Avenue is said to be a woman by the name of Crystal Dozier. And she went missing in 2007. And she was addicted to drugs and alcohol and tried to get sober for many years. She had also been in and out of jail during this time. Now, on May 12, 2007, Crystal's son, Anthony Dozer, no uh, relation, um, who was, he was also a Marine, uh, he called to speak to his mother and he sounded, she said that, he, that she sounded like she was okay, but he could tell that his mother was still on drugs. So when the next day rolled around, it, which was also Mother's Day, he made a point not to call her to wish her a happy Mother's Day because he didn't feel that she had been a very good mother and, it, and she didn't deserve it. May 12, 2007, the day before Mother's Day, was the last time he ever spoke to his mother. Now, little did they know, Anthony uh, Sowell had strangled her with an extension cord, and it had said that he lured Crystal there with promises of drugs and alcohol. After he killed her, he buried her in a two-foot-deep uh, hole in the backyard, and uh, when Crystal's son returned home from the Marines, he could understand why no one knew where his mom was. So he filed a missing persons report. But of course, the police saw that she had history with drugs and they didn't seem very interested. The police literally told him that she was an adult and had the right to go missing. Oh, that's what you're they said that to him. Damn police. Yeah, right? Y'all need to go back to fucking middle school. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> That's not how you address something. It really is. It's unbelievably frustrating. And, and, and another good reason why we don't trust the police, because many of them don't give a shit. Mm. So why go to someone who doesn't care? You know what I mean? Um, so her son did everything that he could to try to find his mother. He posted posters all over the neighborhood and this pissed off so well. He was pissed off. He had thought that he picked the perfect victim and did not expect anyone to care that she was missing. So when he would see those missing uh, posters or, or flyers, he would rip them down. That's what he would do. And in the summer of 2008, the smell and the neighborhood got worse. Not to mention the sun was out in the summertime and it was hot as shit. Now, the the hotter it got, the more rancid the smells got. It was bad. A lot of the neighbors didn't even want to go outside because the smell was so horrible. <laughs> Sounds terrible. It was. But <laughs> smells like farts. Yeah, it smells like straight <laughs> ass. <laughs> And rotting flesh. Yeah. <laughs> but still, no one had any idea what was causing the scent. Cocaine come up? Yeah. Tell us about that. A while into me being there, and 
I, I said, so what's up? And he asked me, did I have a stem? What's a stem? A stem is the, um, is a, what you smoke crack out of. It's a, a, I had a glass pipe, which you smoke crack cocaine out. Kept telling me, he would come back out of it and say, he told me, you aren't like the others. But then he kept telling me, you don't deserve what I'm gonna do to you. He kept talking about all the women who did it wrong, who smoked crack, and he was just talking. And I would agree with him, or I would try and, uh, At this time, I don't think this is what you were expecting, was it? Is this for real? Is, is this for real? Is this how I'm gonna die? Tell him what's up, Don't nobody know where I'm at. So in uh, 2008, in 2008, and by the way, what you just heard was Vanessa Gay's, her, well, parts of her testimony when she was in court trying to describe what Anthony Sowell did to her. And it was really difficult to listen to it. If you want to see the full video itself on YouTube, you can. It's about over 50 minutes long and it's very difficult to watch. But if you want to see the full interview, it is available on YouTube. In 2008... He met another woman named Vanessa Gay, who I was just speaking about, uh, near the bus stop. He mentioned he was sad that he had to spend his birthday all by himself. But in actuality, his birthday was was the previous month when he had turned 49. Liar. Yeah, he's a lying piece of sack of shit is what he is. <laughs> you know? And so um, he invited her over to drink and smoke and celebrate his birthday with him. When she followed him inside his house... Uh, there was that stench that attacked her nose. She just, something wasn't right. It smelled horrible, you know, but she ignored it because Anthony didn't seem to bring any attention to it. You know what I mean? So she tried to pretend like she didn't smell it either. <laughs> I guess it didn't want to hurt his feelings or something. You know, so, oh, your place smell like ass. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Ugh. <laughs> so she has, uh, she's definitely done drugs in, um, in filthy places before. I mean, this was the, uh, the the crack uh, epidemic and they're not done in mansions you know you don't do crack in a clean place usually it's just how it is but uh, she did push through the smell because she was looking you know to party and have a good time after he took a hit of the crack he turned around quickly and punched her in the face as hard as he could and um yeah hard as fuck he demanded that he that she take her clothes off and he told her that women had taken advantage of, of him time to time again and he planned to get those women back that did him wrong so perhaps because of uh, of his failures in his past relationships you know he strained uh, his strained relationship with his mother the women in his life you know they've never really treated him the way that he felt he was deserved to be treated i mean you know the, the child abuse alone especially given by your mother is very difficult his father was absent he didn't really have a strong male figure to look up to you know so mm-hmm. All of that, I would assume, played a part in the man that he became. Um, Now, perhaps maybe the women that he was killing were stand-ins representing the women that he truly wanted to to kill or harm, perhaps. That could be something as well. So he raped and assaulted Vanessa several times. And of course, once he was finished, he fell asleep. 
as if as if they were a couple in a way. He just kind of went to sleep. And he's been doing that. We said that several times. He just falls asleep later on. Now, she was afraid to move because she didn't want to wake him and start and uh, and start the whole nightmare all over again, you know. So the next morning, she stayed the whole night. The next morning, Anthony woke up and didn't really acknowledge what happened the night before. He seemed calm and almost normal. She asked him if if she could go to the bathroom and he allowed it. And on the way to the bathroom, she saw something in the corner of her eye in the room that was directly across in the bathroom. And she saw a headless body lying on the floor. And of course she could not react to what she saw and continued to go to the bathroom, trying, trying her best to think of a way out of that disgusting murderous house. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. She had to pretend like everything was okay. She mm-hmm. still had to use the bathroom. She could not let this man know that she saw this because Anthony was right behind her. He was standing outside the door while she was using the restroom. Oh, God. So that you can only imagine. So when she finished using the restroom, uh, the bathroom, she casually made her way back to the bedroom with Anthony by her side, trying her best to pretend like she was okay. Now, Anthony watched her closely, trying to figure out if she saw the body in the room across the hall. Then he said to her that he couldn't let her go because she might tell someone. So Vanessa took this opportunity to play stupid. She pretended the sex was just tougher and rougher than she was used to and that she wouldn't tell anyone. Uh, This seemed to calm Anthony down and Vanessa took that chance to ask if she could leave. And he walked her to the door and unlocked it. So next, I'm going to play you guys a little soundbite of her court interview describing exactly what she saw and what happened in her own words. And this is a trigger warning. It was very tough to listen to. Just want to go ahead and warn you right now. I finally got up the nerve to ask them, could I use the bathroom? What was his reaction to that? He, he told me, after a few minutes, he told me I couldn't. So did you leave the bedroom? Yes. And as you left the bedroom, the bathroom would be on the same side of the hallway, right? Yes. As you walked to the bathroom, did you notice anything about the room on the left? very difficult to listen to as I said before it was very difficult to watch for one thing um so if you want to see that you can check it out it is available on YouTube so after she left she contacted authorities to report what happened to her and the dispatcher that she spoke to told her that told her that she had to come into the police station to file a report now uh, of course after everything she'd been through that wasn't something she was able to to do mentally and emotionally you know after she was raped and beaten you know, she had already walked the streets bleeding and no one would help her. They were, there were times when she even heard people laughing at her and calling her a crackhead. 
And when she finally got the courage to contact police, the dispatcher made her feel small and told her that she was, she needed to come in to file a report. And of course, at this time, Vanessa was too scared, shocked, and probably felt ashamed and didn't think police would actually help her, uh, by judging, just by judging on that one phone call you know, yeah. from the dispatch, from the bis- uh, dispatcher. Now, Vanessa often wonders if police had just listened to her, just t- taken her seriously, showed a little compassion. Would she have felt comfortable uh, explaining what happened to her? Would she, feel, would she have felt comfortable telling her story? And would that have made things different for those 11 women who lost their lives? Absolutely. Like, you know, like I said, there's a lot of what ifs in this situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there always will be that, that 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 daring what if around the corner of any story, no matter what the topic is, you know. So Michelle Mason was uh, his next vex- his next victim. Anthony most likely uh, lured her to his house with promises of alcohol and drugs, and she disappeared. And uh, her family did. They went to the police looking for help, but they did not seem interested in helping them. They put out their own flyers around the neighborhood, hoping that they could find her. But little did they know, Anthony had already strangled her. Michelle was actually the fourth woman to go missing in that neighborhood in 18 months. That's a short window of time. Yeah, it kind (laughs) of is. Yeah. And that's just the ones that they knew of. Because some families didn't report their loved ones missing. Because one, they probably didn't expect the police to care. Two, they were used to their loved ones going off on benders or doing whatever it was that they were doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There There were several reasons why these go unreported as well. Um, and police could, they still could not care less, even though there was obviously a serial killer on the loose because all these women were pretty much the same. They're black women. They were considered drug addicts or prostitutes. They live in a low income uh, community, community, low income community. So clearly they have a lot in common. Someone is taking these women off the planet of the earth. Something was going on. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not Some, a cop, I'm, but I'm I would have realized it. something's up, you know, yeah. <laughs> like shit. So uh, November 2008, 52-year-old Tanya Carmichael disappeared. And fortunately, Anthony, uh, he got his hands on her too. And in December 2008, a woman by the name of Gladys Wade was approached by by Sowell at a corner store off Imperial Avenue near the bus stop. And he asked her if, if she wanted to go back to his house for a drink. But Gladys declined because she knew something was off about him. This seemed to bother Anthony, and he attacked her and forced her to go home with him. Literally dragged, beat her, and dragged her by her neck to his house. And no one saw this. It's insane. No one saw this. She screamed. She scratched. She kicked at him. She fought back. She pulled away. She did everything she could. He told her that she was going to die that night, is is what he told her. And she was finally, thank God, able to get away from his grasp as they both fell through a glass door on top of one another. And um, she got up bleeding and ran to a nearby pizza shop for help. And this is what, this is going to really piss everyone off listening to this. EJ, get ready to be pissed off. Because mm. this is not something neither you or I would ignore if we saw this. The pizza shop ignored. Yeah, dude, pretty much. The customers along with the owners of the pizza shop did not seem to care Uh, what was going on with this woman, even though she was screaming that someone was trying to kill her. The owner of the pizza shop knew Anthony and didn't believe what she told him uh, and asked her to leave because he didn't want to get involved. Oh my God. 
That's what he said. <laughs> Get out of here. Fucking dick, right? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Jesus. Just like Vanessa Gray, just like Vanessa Gay's story, no one helped her and no one cared. Hmm. You know, she also sought for help, but they just laughed at her and called her a crackhead. So even with uh, with Sowell just steps behind her, bleeding from his face, he explained to the pizza shop owner that that uh, that Gladys had stolen money from him, and of course he believed Sowell. Now, luckily for Gladys, she was able to flag down a police car with two cops in it, and lucky for her, those officers and the and the patrol car wanted to do their job, so they went to his house to question him, but he stuck to a story saying that Gladys stole from him. When they checked on uh, Gladys's background, they saw that she had a history of drug abuse and decided there wasn't enough evidence to support her claims. Once again, Anthony got away with it. They didn't go search the house after that? Nothing. Oh my god. Nothing. Even now, after the sausage place, they, they had to go there so many times because it smelled... They didn't kind of... do anything. Because the entire neighborhood smelled like that. So they thought it was Ray's Sausage Company, but they didn't know exactly where it was coming from. Y'all a bunch of dummies. Yeah, some dumbasses. And not long after he strangled a woman named Kim Smith... Uh, he buried her in his backyard. Then a few months later, he strangled another woman with his with her own purse strap. This is victim number seven, Amelda Hunter. Uh, a woman named, also there was a woman named Tanya Doss. Was, uh, it was an old flame of Anthony's a while back and decided to chill with Anthony at his house. And once he got in there, uh, once she got in there, he put her in a chokehold and she passed out. Luckily for her, he did not sexually assault her, but he had... Uh, he had he had to stay there with him. She had to stay there with him for the night. And the next morning, he woke up and offered her a beer and pretended like nothing strange had happened the night before. You know, so that that's, you know what I'm saying? So she smartly decided yeah. to um, uh, say, no, I don't want a beer. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, <obviously. laughs> but I, I do have to go home and check on my kids. It's 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I have to go, you know. But uh, luckily, he decided to walk into the door, unlocked it, and let her out. And uh, from there, she went to her friend, her friend's house, Nancy Cobb, and told her exactly what happened. Now, Nancy did not believe her either, as she knew Anthony and didn't think that he was very violent. And insanely enough, Nancy reached out to Anthony uh, about getting some drugs a few days later, and he invited her back to his place. Now, when she got there... He became very violent and strangled her with her with a tube sock, wrapped her body in plastic and rolled it up in a comforter and left it in the front room of the house. So Nancy didn't believe what her friend was telling her and then became the next victim of his. Oh my god. Isn't that insane? Yeah. This 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 is insane. How was yeah. this is insane? So he just left her in the living room. Yeah, just left her there with other bodies, by the way. Now get this: in April 2009, another woman also reported being raped by Sowell, and they never even tested the rape kit. Now the sad thing is, according to Atlantic.com, in an article published July 15, 2019, across the country there are as many as 200,000 rape kits that sit unopened. And police storage while their offenders run free enjoying life. Now, from what I understand, it's a state-by-state basis, but there are statute of limitations on rape. Yeah. You know, and which I think is fucking ridiculous. That's now, fucking it really is. 
Now, according to MotherJones.com, no relation, (laughs) (laughs) nationwide, 34 states in Washington, D.C. have statutes of limitations of filing rape and or sexual assault charges ranging from three to 30 years. And the state of New Hampshire, this is just an example, the charges must be filed within the first six years of a crime. Now, some states, it's only five years or three years, but if charges aren't filed against someone within that time frame, the cases, they pretty much... They just stop. Yeah. They drop. They they go cold. And that then they just no don't file it. Like, who is that benefiting? Exactly. You know what I mean? But Unless it's like you really can't charge this person for a crime because it's so long ago that all the evidence is gone. You know? Yeah, that'd be a different thing. But when yeah. the evidence is there, I mean, I mean, men will, as long as they're alive, they have DNA. We just have to fucking test yeah. them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, I'm not going to go through each state and what their statutes are, but... Uh, that also can be found online if you're interested in uh, in that information. Now, in, two th- in uh, September 2009, Sowell invited a woman named Latondra Billups to his place for a drink and to get high. Once again, let me state that just because this woman was addicted to drugs and or alcohol does not mean that she deserved what happened to her. And I'm saying that for everyone. No one deserves to to go through that. You know what I mean? Now, after a few drinks, Anthony uh, got extremely aggressive he beat her, choked her, and raped her until she passed out. When she woke up, Anthony was sitting next to her, and he told her that he would have to kill her because he didn't want her to talk. But she took a page from the same book as Vanessa and uh, played dumb, saying that there was nothing that there was nothing to tell, and that she would contact police. And we're going to take a small little break because uh, someone is vacuuming outside my apartment door, and I'm sure you can hear that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, here's some elevator music. Hello, hello. Welcome to Conversations with Gory Summers, where I discuss mental health surrounding different aspects of life, such as parenthood, love, sex, childhood, goals, and so on. Come and join your girl and share some experiences to give a slice of life. Let's share, laugh, and most of all, express yourself. Hope to see you there. Hope you guys enjoyed that elevator music. And before that, I went ahead and plugged my uh, a friend of mine. She has an amazing podcast, Conversations with Gory Summers. Make sure you check that out. She is amazing. So check that out. And she's not too bad to look at either. Just on out there. Okay. <laughs> so Anthony uh, just looked at her and said, and, and, and didn't say a word. He didn't say anything. And we're talking about in reference back to, uh, to Latondra Billups, the woman that he is now attacking and where we are in the story here. So then she decided to do something extremely risky, Latondra. She told Anthony that she was tired, rolled over, closed her eyes and pretended to go to sleep for the rest of the night. Now, that's very risky, but at the same time, she wasn't sure what she can do. I mean, any wrong decision when you're with someone with that type of mental problems, <laughs> clearly, anything you do or say could could turn on something to where he would be violent again. You just never know. Totally. Scary so, as hell. Yeah, dude. So the next morning, Anthony did let her go. 
and she went to the hospital the very next day for a rape kit that same morning. Now she told police that some of her belongings were still at his house. So the patrolman that she found for help did not, they didn't even question Anthony, to be honest with you. The, uh, the case eventually made its way to sex crimes, but it, it took about a month before anyone did anything with it. Now, unfortunately, the detective that was assigned to this case botched the job. This detective actually released him from custody, saying there were no visible signs and uh, insufficient evidence, that, uh, which was complete fucking bullshit, by the way. Uh, because Gladys, um, excuse me, Latondra, <laughs> we're going back to uh, speaking about Gladys as well, another reason as to why the, the police don't do their shit. Uh, because these women were from low-income areas and assumed to be drug addicts. Police didn't do their job, and Anthony was free to attack more to attack more women and even kill them. So here's a huge fuck you to this specific detective, Detective Georgia Hussein. <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> this bitch caught the case, but never actually talked to anyone. The arresting officers dealing with Gladys's case. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous. And in, in, in the investigation, which let's be honest, uh, seemed completely biased because of the type of victim that these women tend to, that, that these women were, you know, she didn't feel, um, uh, she didn't, she didn't even feel that the fact that Anthony was in prison for, for 15 years for attempted rape was even relevant. So, <laughs> so she told the prosecutor and even described, uh, you know, Gladys, uh, this is one of the victims as an unreliable witness and uh, no charges were filed. So once again, Anthony goes free uh, along with Latondra goes free. Good luck. Yeah. He just got great ass luck and police don't give a shit and it does not pay and he doesn't pay for what he's done. So I don't know if um, if Detective Georgia Hussein or the rest of those assholes of the Cleveland Police Department are, I don't know, just stupid, lazy, or both. <laughs> but I, I hope they take that bitch for everything that she fucking owns. For I understand, she actually finally retired, I think, in like 2010 or 13 or whatever the fuck. I don't even care. Fuck that bitch. And I hope they take everything that she owns. And, and if she had just done her goddamn job. Yeah, probably could have saved six lives. Hope you have a shitty retirement. Yeah, you dumb bitch. Hope you hear this, you stupid cow. <laughs> anyway, had to get that off my chest. So also, thanks for uh, letting that man free to destroy more lives, you dumb slut. I'm sorry. I'm upset because she allowed this to happen. <laughs> so she even went to his house two days later after uh, he was arrested and uh, somehow did not smell the decomposing bodies that were spread all around his property. It's a sausage place. What the entire fuck, you stupid, insignificant, lazy bitch. When you are a detective, you know what decomposing bodies smell like after a while when you're, you know, come on. Come on. All right, anyways. <laughs> The very next month in October, Sean Morris went to his house to hang out and left. Uh, but she realized she left her wallet at his place and went back to retrieve it. So when she went back, when she went back, Anthony allowed her inside. Um, and, you know, and the moment that she that she was inside, and he closed the door. He put her in a chokehold and began to attack her. Now, she managed to escape from his house by throwing herself out of a second story window. 
Now, she was completely nude when this happened, and security footage from the neighboring business next door, Ray's Sausage Shop. Coming up clutch. Yeah, came out, man. Got <laughs> the security like, footage. We're not the reason it smells right. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, they put the security cameras up there so they can catch like drug deals and shit like that happening on the property or whatever, but he ended up getting this footage instead, which is of... Uh, of Sean jumping out of the window completely naked and then Anthony appearing later on also completely naked trying to drag her back into his <laughs> place. Naked yeah, just came out <laughs> naked as well. And this footage is available on YouTube if you want to see it. It's there. It's everywhere. And uh, a w- luckily for her, a witness by the name of Donald Lester saw the whole thing and, and several people actually saw it. And Anthony um, tried to convince Donald that, and everybody was watching, that Sean was his woman and they were having sex and she fell out the window. And of course, Donald didn't believe him for one second about this. And this black man did something he had never done. He called 911. <laughs> <laughs> he called 911 for help. Now, luckily for her, the fire department arrived and they took her to the hospital. And she was unconscious for a few hours at the hospital. When she came to, she asked the nurse if she could contact her husband to let him know what happened. And the nurse told her that her husband had actually ridden along with her in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Now, when she realized what happened, she told the nurse that that wasn't her husband. That was, was Anthony Sowell. So, oh, Sowell. Yeah. He pretended to be her husband. And she lost consciousness again for a little bit. I think it was like another three days. And uh, when she woke up, Sowell called and threatened her and told her not to, not to talk to the police. So when sex crimes detectives came to talk to her, she did not give them anything that was incriminating. No information. Because she was fucking terrified. Which makes sense. This man had the balls to ride with his victim to the hospital and pretend to be her husband. That's some sick shit. I would be afraid to speak too. I mean, he, you know, he has no job. (laughs) He has all the time in the world to bother this woman. You know what I mean? Now, um... On October 27, 2009, we're getting close to his arrest, guys, by the way. Latondra Bullops, we're going back to where we were. Latondra Bullops was finally able to file a sex crime report and disclose what uh, Anthony had done to her the previous month. She finally had decided, I need to say something. I need to do something. She could do it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was in the mental mindset where she was able to, you know. A search warrant was made uh, and... uh, and on October 29th, 2009, police went to his home to arrest him, but he wasn't home. He actually went out for a walk at this time. This was the beginning of opening the Pandora's box that East Cleveland police desperately seemed to try to keep shut for years. <laughs> you guys like how there's like a little segue there? You look Pandora's box and Mount Pleasant isn't pleasant anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm coming in with the puns, bro. <laughs> coming in with the puns. <laughs> So when Anthony wasn't there to open the door, they kicked the door down and the stench almost took them to their knees. Okay. It's, it's now no secret what was causing the neighborhood to smell the way that it did. Upon walking into the house, they saw a figure in the corner and they, they had their guns drawn, telling them to put their hands up, put your fucking hands up. Well, you know, they are. And uh, they soon realized that they had their guns drawn on a dead body that was decomposing. This yeah. is when police... Like the movie Psycho. Fuck yeah, it <laughs> is. Dead moment. Just dead bodies. Yeah. Now, this is the exact moment when police realized shit just got real. 
Mm-hmm. And now, of course, that's probable cause. When you're pointing a gun at a dead body, you can now search that whole fucking place. Yeah. You know what I mean? So word got to Anthony that police were at his house. So he contacted his sister, Tressa, to let her know that everything that she was about to hear about him was true. And then he just fucking disappeared for a few days. Now, I can... I, <laughs> like how he was like, everything you're about to hear, man. About yeah, he met her about true. two streets down from his house. Met her two streets down from his house. Because his, his face was all over the news at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, so what you're about to hear is fucking true. Later. I mean, that's pretty much what happened. Now, I, I understand that there are probably way more crimes that happens than there are police to solve these crimes or, or, or detectives, whatever. But we're still dealing with a system that was not built to protect or even help minority communities. There is a reason that there's such distrust between police and us. And it is a cycle that seems to continue and doesn't seem to have an end anytime soon. Now, at this time, there was a backlog in, uh, in East Cleveland, for I understand, of over 4,000 untested rape kits. Now, that's, that's 4,000 of the 200,000 rape kits that, we, rape kits that uh, we discussed earlier that are untested in the United States alone. So that's a lot. Cleveland was a tough area at this time. So actually, I have something, um, I have have an audio clip that I want you guys to hear of Vanessa Gay discussing in uh, in her court testimony how she feels about police. And this might actually explain or help explain what she was feeling and why she uh, didn't feel that she could talk to the police and to be honest with you why a lot of us feel like we cannot talk to the police whether you have a background of drugs or not is automatically assumed if you're black chances are you're a fucking criminal it's insane so listen to what vanessa has to say about this how'd you feel about going to the police i felt like honest with you I completely understand her bias on not trusting the police because even I I'm you know I'm not a drug addict I'm not a prostitute never done those things you know but even I uh I guess what you would call a a well-educated black woman whatever the fuck I'm against the stereotype of what black women are, are usually seen as and even I have a problem contacting police or speaking to them especially these days in 2020 at this point I get anxiety just seeing a fucking cop car these days. EJ's yeah. seen it. Yeah. Like, I'll be having a conversation with him, and I'll fucking stop talking Jump. and stare at a cop car. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just lose, I forget what's going on at that moment because it's just a triggering moment, mm-hmm. you know? Sammy, stop playing. My, my cat is currently <laughs> trying to attack the sock right off my foot. She's such She's a little... Vicious. She is. Ugh, little bitch. All right, so... <laughs> now, um, it's a shame, honestly, that... Um, Anthony's victims were only seen as black crackheads or prostitutes. They had no help. 
you know, no one to help them. They had no one to care. Their families did the best they could with the money they had. But when you're working against a system that was made to work against you, what options do you actually have? This is one of the biggest reasons why the Black Lives Matters movement is a thing. Because police, and let's be honest, a lot of white people and, uh, and also many other races tend to view black people as criminals before they even know who they are. We are damned before we get a chance to open our mouths. And how dare we label ourselves as victims? You know, that, that's what these protests are about. Even now in 2020, we've been protesting and marching for decades and we are still asking for equality and we are still asking for the right to be alive. It makes no goddamn sense and is so fucking sad that we have to ask for the right to be alive. Now, I told you guys I was going to be in my soapbox. That was like the third or fourth, maybe even tenth soapbox of this particular episode. <laughs> the soapbox derby. Yeah, soapbox derby, bitch. <laughs> but now, when police uh, finally search the house, they find decomposing bodies of 11 black women hidden around his entire property, discarded like garbage. The, the bodies of two women were found buried in a shallow grave in the basement. Four other, four other women were found on the third floor of the home and crawl spaces in the house. Police also found four more bodies in the backyard that were buried. Now, another disturbing find was a decapitated head that was found in a bucket inside the house. I believe it was a skull by the time they got to it. Now, most of the victims died by manual strangulation and others were gagged and or had ligatures left on their bodies when they were discovered. Now, for those of you who, who don't know what a ligature is, a ligature is something that's used to bind and or tie things together like a rope or electrical cords. Now, after finding this house, um, it, it, they realized that it pretty much become a gravesite. You know, police put out uh, monetary rewards for any information leading to the arrest of Anthony Sowell. Uh, or so well, whatever the fuck, fuck him. God damn it. <laughs> he was arrested two days later um, that when they came to his house and they found the bodies. Two days later, he was arrested on Halloween night of 2009. He was charged with 11 counts of aggravated murder and 74 counts of rape, kidnapping and tampering with evidence, as well as abuse of a corpse. Now, he initially tried to plead guilty, tried to plead not guilty, excuse me, by reason of insanity. But later his plea was changed to not just guilty. That's, I mean, to just not guilty, excuse me. And uh, on August 10th, 2011, the jury sentenced him to death. And two days later, the judge upheld the jury's choice. And he is currently on death row in an Ohio Ohio prison. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the city decided to destroy the house that became the gravesite of those 11 women. They knocked the house down and uh, those affected gather around to watch the destruction of the place that held the worst memories of their lives. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, name all 11 of the victims in the ages that they passed and uh, literally take about a 10-second moment of silence directly after saying their names uh, in respect to these victims. Tanya Carmichael, age 53. Talicia Fortson, age 31. And I apologize if I said her name wrong. It might be Talisha. Crystal Dozier, age 38. Amelia Amy Hunter, 
47. Michelle Manson, 45. Tanashia Culver, 31. LaShonda Long, 25. Nancy Cobbs, 45. Janice Webb, 49. Kim Yvette Smith, 44. And Diane Turner, 38. All 11 of these black women were killed between 2007 and 2009. And uh, these were murder victims of Anthony Edward Sowell. These women could have, could have possibly still been with us today had the police taken the reports of them missing seriously if they would have just tried, just did the minimum amount of work. All the things we see on television, you know, maybe wit- question witnesses. Get, look for fingerprints, ask questions, something. If they had done something, perhaps they could have changed the lives of these women because they could have still been here. They could have changed their lives. Maybe they could have gotten clean. They never had a chance to better themselves because they were snuffed out by this asshole. But we will never know because Anthony Sowell took them from us and the police did nothing. God, if there is anything that you can take from this podcast episode, it's don't do crack. I feel like that's a good one. And don't murder people. Yeah, don't murder people. Don't do crack. Don't do those things. And also, in all seriousness, also, please don't generally give a shit about minorities, whether it's brown, black, whatever the fuck, you know, and neither do most of the public these days. But I, I, I have been seeing a change uh, in recent, in recent times. So I'm not going to ignore that change. The fact that I'm sitting here with my, with my white buddy EJ here, you know, that says something. Trump didn't want that. You know what I'm saying? We're over here making (laughs) podcasts together, man. Look at us (laughs) doing the damn thing. We really, we really do as people need to come together and stand up for those who need our help. All these women that Anthony attacked told someone they told someone, yeah. and no one believed them. No one did anything. Even when they went to the police, they told authorities nothing fucking happened. And that is, that's goddamn ridiculous. Even the, even the women who showed up bleeding all over the floor of the pizza shop, no one helped. Writing off these women or anyone just because they are drug addicts or because they're low income or whatever negative connotation you have towards those people, it's wrong. Yeah, it's not the right thing. Yeah, because if it were you or someone you loved, you would want someone to help. So you have to you have to set an example when it comes to that. Now, how is anyone suspected to get clean or make a better life or life for themselves when no one gives a shit what happens to them? And one of the reasons that people do drugs is to forget. Totally. To, to not think about their hardships or the fact that no one gives a damn or they're alone or whatever the reason, whatever their reasoning is. Mm-hmm. When you show them that support and you show them that uh, affection and you show them that they're fucking people and they matter, you never know uh, what, a, what positive effect that can, that can have on them and their future is what I'm trying to say. Um, so it, it's just time as human beings that we learn to use our caring sides and do what we can to help those who do need our help. 
That's going to be a new professionally silly life rule, guys. Do something for others and do it without expecting something in return. You know what I mean? Just do something. I'm going to go ahead and take this moment right now to shout out the YouTube channel Vice and their documentary on the Cleveland Strangler, Wikipedia, and of course, Murderpedia is another one. Uh, these are uh, a lot of the, uh, the areas that I did my research uh, for this case. So thank you guys so much. Also, the Serial Killers podcast for Parcast Network. I did take a listen to their podcast as well. And I got to say, it's really good. But Parcast is always putting out that dope ass shit. So listen, Parcast, if you want to, you know, go ahead and contact me to do any of your, uh, your amazing podcasts, hit me up. I like money too. Um, <laughs> I want to get paid. <laughs> um, if you're new to this podcast, I hope that I didn't scare you, scare you off with my anger towards this case. <laughs> I got real serious up in this bitch. Uh, usually on, on, on this podcast, things aren't so deep. But every now and then, you know, I have to remind my, my listeners that I'm human being as well. And uh, sometimes shit affects me. So I'm going to use the, the small platform that I have to talk about shit. You know what I mean? If you're a returning listener, then you already know what's up. You already know how I do shit. All right. <laughs> so next week I might do a, a, a lighter podcast episode. It'll definitely be shorter. <laughs> also, shout out to EJ. Thank you uh, for shout joining out me. To you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, this was a, a deeper subject. Now, had you known a lot about the Cleveland Strangler before this episode? No, I maybe knew like the extent of that like news clip you showed. Me yeah, like the news clips. That's about it. Because there's it's a lot deeper than it is, and I, I decided yeah. if, I, if I do a true crime podcast episode, I want to discuss the things around that particular. Yeah. You time did your or yeah, I did lots. We talked about the crack uh, epidemic. We talked about the eighties. We talked about the riots. We talked about black women going missing. We we, we hit a lot of things because mm-hmm. I want to discuss those things because those things are important. You know, they're they're important and they're part of the cases and why these things happen. So yeah. Uh, also, guys, don't forget if you want to email me at itsprofessionallysilly at gmail.com, Make sure you go ahead and do that because maybe you've got your own cases or your own true crime stories that you want to share. Maybe you got something you want to get off your chest. Maybe you just want to write me and tell me I'm amazing or uh, that I suck. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. I do cover a lot of topics. So if you have any cases, whether they're uh, paranormal or you have a confession or a secret, what have you, send them to me. Also, I've got a P.O. box so you can snail mail me old school. P.O. box 29892, Los Angeles, California, 9029. Feel free to uh, also to call in about any episode of the Professionally Silly that you've heard through the Anchor app if you've got that, or you can just call slash text my Google voice number for a chance to be featured on my podcast, 805-664-1828. Be sure to follow this podcast on Instagram and Twitter at It's Pro Silly, I-T-S-P-R-O, and then the word silly. I do, I will have uh, pictures pertaining to this particular podcast episode so uh be sure to go ahead and take that out take a look at that on the uh, instagram page that we've got here and if you did enjoy this episode or any episode and you want to leave me a review on apple Podcasts, i ain't gonna say no about it you know what i'm saying please leave me a five star and uh, or written review because it does help get my podcast out there to other people who have not heard of uh professionally silly yet and that's the dream the more listeners the better i would love that because who knows man eventually one day i could become one of those awesome podcasts who get to tour and do live episodes with you guys. That would be awesome. It'll probably be like 80,000 years from now, but I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm working on it. 
<laughs> so make sure you guys go ahead and check the show notes for more bonus information, like my social media information, personal, as well as uh, for the podcast. I've got TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, two YouTube channels. So make sure you check that out. One is also called Professionally Silly. And then we've got Paranormal Blacktivity, where your girl takes her black ass and investigates some paranormal areas and sometimes objects. We'll see. Um, so I'm doing a lot of things. I'm doing a lot of things. Once again, I'm your audible boo thing, Amber Smiles Jones. And thank you so much for listening to the Professionally Silly Station here on Anchor FM, where I take my silliness seriously. Until next time, my loves, watch where you step, because there's pieces of shit everywhere. All right, we're out. <laughs>